you're listening to Orgasmic Relationships, a podcast designed to show women how to create deep, passionate, soul-stirring relationships. Each week, we will discuss topics ranging from dating, situationships, marriage, divorce, and everything in between. So if you're ready to transform your love life and shift your perspective about what's really possible for you, you're in the right place. ladies and welcome back to another episode of Orgasmic Relationships. I am your host Sharika Matthews, life coach and relationship expert. You know one of the main pillars of orgasmic relationships is that every woman must be true to who they are and be very clear on her desires. But too often we as women have watered down or ignored our true desires due to religious or societal conditioning, due to our upbringing, or just other sources of influence in our lives that are outside of ourselves. But if you truly want to live an orgasmic life and have an orgasmic relationship, you have to know who you are on a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual level. And on our show today, I've invited Ms. Kali Ashura, who supports women on their journey to authentically and unapologetically experience the full embodiment of their spirituality. Kali was ordained as a Minister of Spiritual Science from the National Spiritual Science Center in Washington, D.C. Along with several culture certifications, she holds a Master's of Arts in Transpersonal Psychology with a specialization in creativity and innovation. And she also holds a Creative Expression Certificate from Sophia University, where she is currently enrolled in the Global PhD Transpersonal Psychology Program. Her dissertation topic explores BDSM, and if you don't know, that stands for Bondage, Discipline, Dominance and Submission, and Sadomasochism as a spiritual practice. In other words, she is, she is filling in the gap and making the link between sexuality, sensuality, and even spirituality. So thank you for joining us here today, Kali. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Happy to be here. Good, good. You know, your area of expertise in all of this is so fascinating and so intriguing. You are literally studying and you are teaching women the the correlation between sexuality, um, eroticism, intimacy, um, sexuality. You're, you're, you're bridging their gap or making the link about things that some of us were taught were bad or you don't really talk about sexuality and sensuality and you're putting it in the same sentence as spirituality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Taboo, right? Right. So what I'm about to say here, so for my <laughs> listeners who are super saved, might want to go ahead and clutch your, curl, your, clutch your curls right about now, okay? <laughs> so I'm curious, Kali. How did you make this correlation? Like, how did you come to put these two, we would think are opposing things we've been taught or are opposing things into the same sentence? How did that come about? Um, So for me, it started with my personal journey. Um, And like, you know, I've heard this story and you probably have heard the same story as well, where especially in the Christian environment where you're growing up and it's like, we don't talk about sex, although you may 
have certain feelings, you have certain thoughts and certain beliefs, but those things we keep outside of the church. And so that was my experience where it's like, okay, God, I have these feelings, I have these emotions, I have these desires and thoughts. You created me this way, yet yeah. I can't talk about it. So how does that how does that work? And then mm-hmm. so that just sort of started like my own personal journey to figure out, okay, how do I make that make sense in my head for me? Um, because like I said, if it's, if God created me this way, clearly there is something to that, that I can't ignore. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't mean that you don't have guidelines and standards about how to operate in, in, in your own sensuality and sexuality, but I could not completely abandon that part of me. Cause then for me, that means I'm then abandoning an aspect of God yeah. because reality is if we are made in the likeness of image of God, yet we're saying our sexuality and sensuality is forbidden, then what are we really saying about this part of who God is? Mm. And to what extent then are we isolating God in our lives? Which is what, you know, was my experience. So let's see. So it was one of those things that I kind of just struggled with growing up um, and then got to a place probably 2010, Mm-hmm. So probably like early 20s where it's weird because I was sitting in my room and, you know, people would tell the stories about how they, God comes to them. And it was like this whisper, like, OK, I need you to become a minister. And so I'm looking like <laughs> real cool and everything, God, but we ain't rocking like that. Like, you know, I'm we like, are you really in church? Huh? <laughs> he was like, are you talking to me, God? Look, you're like looking out the windows, opening doors, like, okay, who else is in here with me? Because <laughs> in that moment, it's like I said, I wasn't really going to church. I was still trying to find a church home where I felt comfortable. And so I was like, okay, if we're going to do it, I have to be able to do it in a way where I am doing the work on myself as part yeah. of this process. And for me, that work meant bridging the gap of my sensuality, sexuality with spirituality. And so that's kind of how I began my journey Mm -hmm. um, in terms of that. Um, I will say another key factor that also um, helped me out in that process was in my sophomore year of college. I had contracted two STDs. Mm -hmm. Um, So one was genital warts. Mm-hmm. And then a few months behind that, I had contracted genital herpes. Mm-hmm. And so that in and of itself was a whole yeah. devastating, traumatic process. Right. Um, and more so because those are, I'm not going to say the two, but of, you know, the STDs that exist, those are two that stay with you forever. Like yeah. there are treatments, but there are no cures. Right. And so, you know, I started questioning, okay, God, why would you have, why, why would this happen to me? And especially because I wasn't promiscuous in the way that you would, you know, think people yeah. who get STDs are. I'm like, okay, one partner, how God, why? Right. Um, and then there are other questions in terms of, okay, what do I do? Because no one's going to want me now, you know, yeah. won't be able to get married, won't be able to have kids. How do you even cultivate conversations and relationships? Just like every question that you can think of about relationships literally started to overwhelm and come through me. And so 
I was in college and um, we have a space, what we used to call the quad. So mm-hmm. I was in the quad and literally just crying. And then this sort of calmness came over and I could hear God say, don't worry about it. You know, it will be okay. And so it was one of those things we just started having a conversation back and forth. And I realized in that moment that this was actually a great thing. And it's weird to say, cause it's like, Oh, how can that be a great thing? Mm-hmm. But I realized I was using men as a way to self-validate myself and my self-worth. Mm-hmm. And so by me now contracting the STDs, it was like, okay, if someone is going to be with me, I knew that they would truly be with me because they love me because not many people are going to, you know, put themselves in a situation where they could contract something. Right. And so I was like, you know, that's the conversation that began to take place. And so it was more of a healing for me. So that, you know, experience also helped me to bridge the gap between um, my spirituality and my sexuality to realize the two aren't separate that, Mm -hmm. you know, events happen for a particular reason, things happen for a particular reason. And so, you know, just learning to just embrace that as my personal truth versus what society says should be my truth. Right. Right. You said a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that because there are so many, you you made so many good points. It's like two minutes and, you know, Looking at, I want to talk about women in particular, looking at how we as women or more so we as women who are brought up in Christian households were taught about our bodies, but we were taught about sex or not taught about sex. We were just taught, my aunt told me, keep your panties up and your skirt down. And that was the extent of the sex talk for me. I don't think anyone thought to talk to me about sex until after I done had sex and I'm like in my like I was in college and nobody yeah. talked to me about this but it's always been such a taboo topic such a a shameful talk topic because if a woman loses her virginity then that's something to be ashamed of but on the flip side for men it was it was almost celebrated and then, um, and I spoke to someone else about this too. And in some Christian cultures, they even tell you that even when you're in marriage, your body, your sexuality, your sensuality doesn't matter. Only thing that matters is that you please your husband. Right. So particularly as women, for us to take the shroud off of sexuality, sensuality, intimacy, all the things, take it off embrace it, get comfortable with it, and then relate it to our spirituality as a part of who we are, that's groundbreaking to me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, it truly is because it requires a shift in how you see yourself. It requires a shift in how you see God, I yeah. think. Because just listen to you just in the last couple of minutes, it requires me to shift from seeing God as a judgmental being who gave me these desires and, and sensations to be mean. <laughs> because I'm not supposed to act on it. I'm not supposed to, to fulfill. I'm not supposed to do anything with this just for a man's, a man's pleasure, but not for my pleasure. 
Yeah, so it, that's the part that never made sense to me. It's like, okay, God, it's like someone giving you a gift and then judging you for having the gift that they gave you. Yeah. Like, how, how does that, how does that work? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And you remind me of um, years ago, I had a family member. We would always buy him gifts at Christmas. And guess what he would do? He would never open it. Every year he would open any gift that was wrapped up that had a bow on it. And I couldn't understand why. So finally one day I asked him and, and his response reminds me of how we are taught God is. His response is, it doesn't matter what I do with it. Only thing that matters is that I, is that you gave it to me and you should be satisfied with that. And that's almost the same sentiment that we're taught about our bodies and sex is that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what i want to do with it i should be grateful that i have something for my husband right and let me tell y'all they ain't never sat right with me <laughs> <laughs> no but but it's really a disservice to you know husbands and partners or you know whatever that looks like for people because you're not giving yourself fully it's yeah. like you have my body, and I remember some of my experiences on, you know, earlier on, because like you said, no one, you watch movies, you see sex scenes, but no one's having a conversation. And so even now, I'm currently taking a training. And I'm like some of the stuff in the training. I'm like, ain't nobody ever teach me this, and I'm 48, and I'm like, okay. Um, but even in terms of partners, you know, or like I said earlier on, I would just be laying there. And it was like, whatever you need to do, you do. Right. You realize afterwards and having conversations, they're like, well, you weren't engaged, but no one is teaching us how to be engaged. Right. Which is where, you know, your sensuality and stuff comes in. No one is telling you that it's okay for you to initiate sex, Mm -hmm. which is what most men would love and appreciate because they get tired of being the ones to initiate. But because it's so judged and condemned, no one knows. And then, you know, when you aren't having sex, they will turn elsewhere to get what they need. Yeah. Which creates, you know, a whole bunch of different other things in marriages. So on one hand, it's like, don't have sex or, you know, your body belongs to your partner. But if it's not satisfying, he then goes out. But you can't leave your husband for whatever reason, because then also divorce is condemned. So it's like yep. a never ending yep. cycle of, you know. I don't want to say trauma in that sense, because some people it could be traumatic, but it's just one yeah. thing after another that yeah. you're dealing with in the dynamics of your relationships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to what you just said about not giving yourself fully. When you, when, and I'm going to speak again for women, when we have not been taught to learn about and embrace our sexuality and our sensuality, you're, you don't even know who you are completely. Yes. You know parts of yourself and those right. parts that you know are probably really strong and really clear. But until you know the sensual part of yourself, and for me, sensuality is more than just sexual sensuality. It's for me, like all of my senses. Yes. You know, and, and, and taking all of that in and, and getting to know what my sensual triggers are creates a, a heightened sexual experience for me. Yes. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we're not taught that. This is something I don't even know how I figured it yeah. out, to be honest with you. 
trial and error, trial and error, you realize, or you come across a good partner who is willing to allow you to explore. Yeah. Um, but I like what you said about the sensuality, because for me, it's the same thing. And tying in the spiritual piece, for me, sensuality is allowing God to experience life through me. Yes. Hold on, let me write that down. And so, <laughs> and so in order for that to happen, I have to be in touch with all of my senses. Mm. You know, what does what what flavors do I like? What smells do I like? What do I like to touch? How does it feel? And actually having the experience. So it's something I was watching one day and the lady was eating a cupcake with a fork. And I was like, well, okay. Like, well, let's try that. But it was a wonderful experience because you're taking it bite by bite. And it's like, okay, what does the icing really taste like? And literally allow myself to have the experience of what does this cupcake actually taste like? And what does it bring up in me by way yeah. of feelings and emotions? So it's yeah. not just, oh, let me touch this, but being you know cognizant of, okay, what is the experience inside of my body that's happening? And yeah. so even when we look at sex with partners, okay, my partner is doing X, Y, and Z. How does that make me feel? Mm. You know, do I really enjoy it? Do I don't? Do I need them to go a little bit more to the left or to the right or, <laughs> you know, whatever that looks like? <laughs> to the left, to the left. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's really good, too. Um, I love that saying, allowing God to experience life through me. And this brings up. A couple of things, what you said earlier, that we are made in the image of God, but I also believe that spiritually we are an extension of God. So, so that's where the, the sexuality comes in. Yeah. So let me give you the full picture. Okay. The sensuality is allowing God to experience life through me and as me. My sexuality is me experiencing my humanity as God. So what can I create? What am I manifesting? And so then the spirituality becomes the union of those two. So you can't have one without the other. Otherwise, there's an imbalance there. Yeah. Say that again. Sexuality is what? My expression of God. So my way of being God. How do I Mm -hmm. create? How do I manifest? Mm. Girl. So it's like a two-way relationship where God gets to experience life through me and I get to experience life as God. Yeah. I love it. I know so many people probably clutching their pearls right now. <laughs> because, again, growing up in a strict, me, I grew up in a strict Christian household to equate myself as God, to see myself as God, to even see that God's spirit lives through me mm-hmm. is basically blasphemy yes. in, in some yeah. Christian cultures. But that is truly my belief. I, I'm in alignment with you. In that we are an expression of God. We are an extension of God. And he gave us each of these desires for a reason. And if you believe that your existence here is to bring pleasure to God, then he gave you your sexuality to bring pleasure to him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let that sit for a second. Because <laughs> when I first started... Because I have, of course, I haven't studied on your level. Um, I think I may want to at some point in time, but not now. But when I first started um, 
learning to embrace my own sexuality and sensuality, it took a lot of unlearning. It took a lot of me looking in the mirror and not just seeing myself, but seeing God. Yeah. And then sometimes when you're looking in the mirror, you're trying to see God looking back at you. The old wounds and the old experiences and the old teachings of, oh, you're flawed. Oh, you can't be God because you sin too much. Oh, you can't be God because you make too many mistakes. Oh, you can't be God because of X, Y, and Z. Those conversations came up for me. Was that a similar experience for you? It was. It was. It's definitely a lot of unlearning, Um, you know, religiously unlearning what I was taught in church, you know, unlearning what I was taught by, you know, family members and even learning what I wasn't taught as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And then just society as a whole. You know, I remember my 16th birthday and, you know, there's a saying, sweet 16, never been kissed. And so my grandmother had made that statement to me and I'm thinking in my head. Okay, I'm gonna let you believe that because we're not gonna have that conversation. But not to go there because I was nowhere near 16, honey. But I was, I was kind of late. I think I, I think my first kiss was eighth grade, which is what 13, and I was yep. late because there was a girl pregnant in my eighth grade class. So wow. I was real confused how that happened. See, <laughs> real confused, <laughs> and even. Oh my gosh, and now that we're talking about this, I remember my first kiss in eighth grade. It was not something that I wanted. Mm. It wasn't something that I initially, I remember, and oh my gosh. So, and the reason I'm like, oh my gosh, is just really thinking about who I was at 12 and 13. I really didn't understand why other girls liked boys. Like, um, like I remember everyone used to talk about how this one class, they had a big booty. And I'm like, why is that attractive? That's what he sits on. That's what he shits right. with. Like, why, why is that attractive? Like, I really want to understand this. But I went along with the program because that's what every other girl was doing. And then um, and then everyone was getting kissed. And some people were having sex by eighth grade. And then when I finally had the kiss, it was because the guy initiated it. And he took me to, like, the stairwell or something. And he was filling up on me. And I didn't understand what was happening or why it was happening. And right. I'm not claiming rape or nothing. Let's be clear about that. But it, what, I'm, what I am claiming is because we weren't taught about our bodies beyond the science class. Right. Because no one talked to me about the desires I began to feel in that experience. <laughs> because no one taught me how good it could be or even how uncomfortable it can be your first time. I was just... Yeah, or even how to own your power in those situations, right? Because yeah. for me, it's really also about knowing and understanding your power. Yeah. And that you have permission to say, okay, I don't like this. I don't want this. And so yeah. by us ignoring certain parts of the conversation and not having certain parts of the conversation, then women are kind of left to sort of figure it out on their own. And this is kind of why you have a lot of, you know, women who, don't want certain experiences, but don't feel that they have permission to vocalize. Yeah. No means no in this case. This is not, yeah. you know, what I want. And even to that extent, I may want to have this experience here with this person. It doesn't mean I want to have that same experience 
with mm-hmm. someone else and being right. okay to recognize a yes over here doesn't mean a yes over there. You know, right. I get to choose my experiences in life and what, you know, what happens to me and who I have those experiences with. Yeah. And you said a very important point is your power in those moments. Yeah. And depending on and depending on how you're brought up, because when I think about my best friends growing up, they were taught more they they were taught that they had a choice and a voice. I was not taught that. I was mm-hmm. taught I was taught from an early age, even still, that a man would probably hit you once and a man would cheat on you at least once. That's what I was taught. That's that's the extent of my dating relationship marriage conversation outside mm-hmm. of your body is not your own, it belongs to your husband. And so it and so you have fast forward in this to 2020, 2021, 2022, women are speaking up a hell of a lot more than they did 20, 30 years ago. They're saying yeah. no and they're claiming their power back for their bodies, for their sexuality, for their sensuality. You see it on Instagram. Yeah. Right? You know, I see a lot of people, I saw a post a while ago that was like, I don't understand. It was a man. He was like, I don't understand why women got to show their bodies and stuff. I'm like, it's just an expression. If yeah. she uh, if she feels comfortable in her body, she owns her body and she wants to show a leg, a thigh, or even a breast, yeah. that's her right to do so. Yeah. And it's just a body it. part. Yeah. We have sexualized, and even the whole breastfeeding um, conversation we were having a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Where, you know, people are like, well, they shouldn't breastfeed in public. Your breasts were made as a feeding instrument before it became a pleasure instrument. I, I right. think, I what I'm going to assume, because we <laughs> produce milk. <laughs> we produce milk out of our breasts to feed our children. Yeah. And then, you know, sexually, it is a turn on there for some women, not all women. But just because you get turned on by breasts don't mean I got to hide it. Right. And just the isolation of that. So you're okay seeing my breasts in the bedroom when we're behind closed doors. But for some reason in public, that becomes an issue. How and why? Yeah. Even the reason behind that, you're not even seeing the full realm of my breasts in public. Like you get a whole lot more exposure. Right. Like most of the time women got blank, like they're covered. So why are we tripping over here, but not tripping over oh, there, which kind of goes back to the, you know, earlier on when we were talking about spirituality and sin, we tend to hide those things that are sinful, um, but, you know, display everything else. And so we've been taught to, okay, it's okay to do these things sexually as long as we do them and no one knows about it. Right. Right. Um, so, which, you know, is not a good thing either. Yeah, you're still hiding. You're still not walking in your authenticity. You're, you're because you hide and not show all parts of it, it creates a sense of shame. And yeah. shame can have such a stronghold on people mentally and emotionally that you really don't experience the fullness of life. Yeah, You know, part of what the Bible teaches us is God came to give us life and give us life more abundantly. But we don't live in that abundance. We don't live in that full experience of life because we're too busy hiding what we call sins, hiding what we call, uh, you know, inappropriateness. We're hiding so much that we forget that God made us with breasts and booties and clits and all that. God made men with pecs and arms and all the other things. 
but he did it for a reason. I believe that God is very intentional. I don't think oh, he designed God. us on accident. I don't believe he gave us our eyes, our ears, our, our skin, our, our, our nerve system. None of that was on accident. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what we do in one area transpires to another. So if we're hiding in our sexual lives, where is that showing up elsewhere? And that was one of the things I also, that kind of helped in my journey. It's like, okay, God, I feel like I'm being judged here. But then, you know, when I started looking at other areas of my life, I'm like, well, shoot, I feel like I'm being judged at work, you know, being a woman and how I do things, even, you know, just within family dynamics. When you got siblings, you're not doing things the way one, you know, brother or sister may do it. But it, it gives you room to allow God in. Yes. Not just in the bedroom, but also, like I said, other areas of my life. And so the moment I started letting God in, not necessarily my sexual experience, but like I said earlier, sex for me is also the act of creation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm not allowing God in my bedroom, then for me, that translates to I'm not allowing God in my life of creation. Mm -hmm. So then when I'm sitting here wondering why I'm not getting a certain promotion, oh, kind of told God, I don't need you in this Mm. aspect of my life. Mm. So, yeah, that's, that's another good point. Um, I remember, I think my first unlearning about sex and and spirituality, uh, a former coach and mentor that I had, she made the comment that sex, how did she say it? Sex allows us to get the closest to God as we can here on earth. Yeah. And it took me a minute to digest that. And then when you read um, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, and some of the other um, manifestation, um, uh, you know, ask, believe, receive type of teachings, they also talk about sex as one of the ways of of manifesting and bringing from Bring it from the spiritual side into the earthly side. Yeah. And I think that's such a powerful metaphor, especially for women, because we're really the gateway of life here on earth. We literally bring life from the spiritual through our bodies into the physical. Yeah. And if we're not allowing God into that experience of having sex with our partners, of creating life, of creating anything, what are you doing? What what are we what are we really doing? <laughs> <laughs> no, so then when we look at you know family dynamics and communities, and then we wonder why certain things are happening or why certain things are shut down. When you shut down the spirit of a woman, you literally are shutting down the life force of a whole community at that point. Yeah, yeah, you really are. You really are. And, and we as women have to, using your word, reclaim our power in our sexuality and in our spirituality our spirituality is more than just praying Mm -hmm. our spirituality is more than just going to church our spirituality is really allowing god and that and god to experience every single thing through us yeah and once you begin to see yourself as the image of God, once you began to see yourself as the spirit of God, as you began to see yourself as worthy of God experiencing life through you, 
I think that is what enhances our lives and enhances our relationships. Yeah, it does. You know, one of the things, so, you know, part of the intro was the introduction to in terms of my um, PhD work. And yeah. so looking at BDSM as a healing practice, and in particular within the African-American women, um, as it relates to the superwoman syndrome. Mm. And so us, you know, me in particular, and this is kind of how it kicked off, the conversation around always putting other people first, not being able to be vulnerable and express feelings, not being able to ask for help because we have taken on this role of, I got it, I can handle it all. And that's become the expectation. Yeah. And so for me, part of the research is how does BDSM and the practices of that allow for healing for women who experience the superwoman syndrome? Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because, you know, we tend to think of BDSM as currently 50 shades of gray and, you know, right. that whole right. thing. And we think whips and chains, but there's really actually a whole nother emotional intelligence behind that. Because in that arena, you have to, you know, partners have to understand what are the boundaries? You know, what is it that I like? What is it that I don't like? What are mm-hmm. my safe words? You know, where is my what's a hard no for me, right? So how then do those things translate over into my day-to-day life? So same principles, um, but that we just aren't using them here. And so, you know, just for me researching how people who are in that lifestyle, how they have come to grow into that space of, okay, I am clear about this is who I am and this is what I want to experience. My partner is clear about what that is. Um, you know, even emotionally, there is a lot of unlearning that takes place there um, just by way of working through societal judgments about what it is that people in those communities are freaks or psychological issues and, you know, different dynamics like that. But when you really look at it, they're probably actually more healthier mentally, emotionally, and spiritually than those of us who are not, again, because they have learn through the practice, okay, these are what my boundaries are. This is what makes me feel good. So when we talk about the sensuality and knowing, okay, what is it that I like and don't like? And even by way of sexuality, what am I creating in this experience and having clarity around that? Yeah. Um, So just being able to make those correlations as well. So, you know, removing the stigma around what sex and the various sexual practices are and just really figuring out, okay, Sex is this great and wonderful thing. So how then do I use that to expand other areas of my life and work through, you know, whatever needs to be healed so that I can be a better person and a better version of who God is? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you you brought up the point and I want to read your dissertation um, when you're done. (laughs) Because that's I'm really interested to hear what the results are of that. But you bring up the point about the superwoman syndrome we have here in the in the black woman community. And it's I'm a living witness, honey. I thought I was over this whole Captain Save a doing everything for everybody. <laughs> but I find myself and this shows up more at work. It's very interesting with me. This this uh this trait in me shows up more at work in my full time job than it does in my personal life. Like I find myself working extra hard, working all the time because of probably the underlying belief that I have to work harder because black woman in a male right. domain. 
but also I have this sense of pride about the fact that I am working harder than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was really in my, in my head this week, just really thinking about it because I'm like, when I feel that sense of pride, I remember my dad. I remember the upbringing I was taught that you have to work hard. You got rewarded for hard work. You didn't get rewarded for a pretty painting. Right. You know, and and then it's beginning to show up in my life. I had a conversation with my brothers um, just a couple of days ago, actually, about because he I went through a really hard time in my life about four years ago and they didn't even know it. And we were talking about why did my brothers not know that I had gone through this hard time? And it was because I felt as if because I was the oldest of the three, it was my responsibility responsibility to hold up this image so that they could look up to me and be encouraged and be inspired to do great things. He was like, where'd that come from? I never expected that out of you. And so it shows up in different ways and different times in our lives. And it's been ingrained in us. It's been taught to us. And those women who don't really embody the superwoman persona sometimes get made fun of or sometimes get ridiculed because you're not working hard enough. You're not a real woman. You should be holding it down for everybody. You should be going out of your way for this whole cycle of self-sacrifice. Yeah. And... I'm really curious, how can we use our sexuality and our sensuality to help heal that part of us? So you kind of alluded to, I know you're doing the research on BDSM, but in general, how do we heal that part of us so that we could stop glamorizing this self-sacrifice and start living not just authentic lives, but living lives and having relationships that feel so good to us. Yeah. So, I mean, earlier on, we talked about the relationship of sensuality and sexuality Mm -hmm. and it being a two-way relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, even in our regular relationships, it is that same dynamic. So my withholding is really a disservice to whoever I'm with, be it my partner or family members or who else. Because I'm not giving them the experience and the opportunity to pour into me, which is what they, you know, there are people who generally want to pour into help. And so when I'm closed off to myself, I'm really being selfish and that's selfish where I need to take care of myself, but selfish as in I'm going to hog all of this. So I'm going to hold all of my attention for myself and not allow you to benefit with who you are. Um, And so now, even as I talk this out, it's really about you're not allowing people to be of their purpose and allowing Mm -hmm. them to be their authentic self. Mm. Um, Because you may have someone who is their gift is nurturing, but if I'm not saying, Hey, this is what's happening with me. This is what's going on. They have no way of knowing. And so they have no way of utilizing their gift. Yeah. Um, by way of that. So that was something that was also part of my journey, just allowing people to support me um, no matter what's going on. Cause you know, like you said at work, cause I spend most of my time pretty much work is the bulk of my time. Um, 
And so when things get frustrated, there are people who I will call and say, hey, this is what's going on. And they're able to, you know, talk me down or whatever and, you know, calm me down just like I do for other people. Mm -hmm. So it's allowing people to give me back what I give out. And so even if we translate that spiritually, it's allowing God to use those people to give to me. Yeah. So if we're asking God for a particular prayer, well, God can't answer the prayer, one, if people don't know. Right. So God knows clearly, but, you know. Yeah. God ain't this big voice that's just around in the streets with the microphone <laughs> hollering, yo, this person over here, you know, <laughs> got a prayer, I need you to go over there, right? <laughs> Part of the work is ours to do. So if I'm that right. voice and, hey, I have this issue, then the door can't be open. Because yeah. no one knows that, hey, there's a door here that I need you to walk through. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I love this conversation because even as we're sitting here talking, it's such a reflective moment for me. I'm sure it's a reflective moment for our audience to really just take a look at our own sex lives and take a look at where we are with our own sensuality and and how are we holding ourselves back or hiding in our in our sex and, and intimacy? And how is that translated and blocking us from some of the prayers and the blessings we've probably been begging and talking to God for for about five, ten, and fifty, eleven years? Yeah. You know. So, are there any? What is one thing? that our audience can do here in the short term to help us get more comfortable in our in our spirit spirit in our sexuality and sensuality the one thing i always go to is breath Mm -hmm. um just taking a moment to just breathe and i'm not like not that just the you know, and then you go back, but really like a good, even if it's a five seconds, but really taking in the deep breath. Mm-hmm. Um, so and what that does is one, it allows the spirit of God to come into your body mm-hmm. and be present with you. But then it allows you to be present with whatever the experience is in front of you. Yeah. Because in that moment, everything is being released. Mm-hmm. And so when I inhale, I am taking in the breath of God. When I'm exhaling, I'm releasing whatever thoughts I may have that are keeping me from being present in the moment. And so then that allows me to show up fully to whoever I am with. And so in that moment, I am then connected to, okay, what am I feeling in my body? Mm -hmm. When you're really present to your breath, you start realizing, oh, wait, my right, you know, my hand is starting to shake. Why is that? What is Mm -hmm. what is causing that? Is there a certain thought? Is the person who is in front of me? Um, and it also allows you, like I said, to be present to the person that's in front of you. Cause there are a lot of times we're having conversations with people, but we're not present. So it's sort of like, you know, you going into work and you say, Hey, how you doing? Everybody always says I'm good. Yeah. But how often do we really say, take a moment, stop, breathe and say, yeah, today I'm not feeling good. Yeah. And have that conversation. Not that you need to divulge the full breath of what's happening in your world, but just, yeah, today is not a good day. Yeah. You know, and then it allows that person to realize, okay, maybe I don't need to push her as hard today. Let me just take a step back 
And so they have a frame of reference to know, okay, today isn't a good day, so I'm not going to give a 20-page report and say I need it by 5 o'clock because that just ain't going to happen. Right, <laughs> right. Only if, you know, our work environment was that um, accommodating. Yeah, <laughs> but I like the concept because um, what you put me in mind of is really mindfulness. Yes. Being present in your body, taking a moment to check in with yourself, whether you're sitting at your desk or you on top of your man riding. Yeah. You know, what do you feel in this moment? Like, what do you need in this moment? And asking yourself those questions as a way to reconnect, say a silent prayer if you can, but actually verbalize what it is you want to desire in this moment. And it could be something as small, like right now I'm thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I reach down to get my water. <laughs> yeah, but it allows you to release control also. Yeah. And so it allows God to do what God needs to do in those moments, right? Because some of the work is ours, some of the work is God. Yeah. But if we're always, and this is a big thing for me because I have people tell me all the time, you such a control. I need you just to let loose. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, when we're in the bedroom, he's like, look. This ain't work. I'm going to need you to <laughs> bring it down some, okay? But it's the so on one hand, it's like the one thing that attracts him to me. And then I'm having to learn I don't need to show up this way 24-7. Yeah. So it gives me the space to just relax and to breathe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it. Now, I want to talk about a little bit about what you do. Um, you have... Um, you have what you your ministry right called yes. Red Light Div- Divinity. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that, please. Ah, the fun <laughs> part. Uh, <laughs> so Red Light Divinity is my personal ministry, and it came about. I was at my mentor's house, and we were just talking, and we threw out the concept of the Red Light District, um, mm-hmm. which is famous for sexual activities, but it's also yeah. the place where people. There's a lot of condemnation around, you know, going there and people tend to go there just for temporary pleasure. But when you really dive into it, it's a lot more behind the scenes. Like, yes, people may go there for temporary pleasure, but they're also going there because there is something that they need to release and experience. Um, And so for me, it was taking that imagery and taking that um, how people perceive it and making it into something different. So, yeah. you know, the topic that we've been talking about today, how do we take sensuality, sexuality, and spirituality? And right now, you know, they're all different topics and categories and people keep them separate. Mm-hmm. But with Red Light Divinity, how do we bring all of that together to be the better version of who we are? And so for me, it's um, really just creating the space for people to embody all three together and giving them the freedom to do that in a container where they may not feel like they can do it elsewhere. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. I love that. And um, of course, you know, I've been stalking your website, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the core concept is a program is a, is a method called rise. Yes. Yes. What is that? So rise is romance, intimacy. And then the S is the sensuality, sexuality, spirituality, and the E is eroticism. So with romance, romance is about, so, you know, when we're little girls, we, you know, the fairy tale stories, the happily ever afters, right? Mm-hmm. But it's us living life through someone else's fairy tale. So the romance is how do we create that fairy tale for ourselves? 
Mm-hmm. What does your own fairy tale look like? And it might not be the white picket fence with a husband and two kids. It very well may be, I am going to be a single woman with no kids, right? Because that is a, some women don't yeah. want kids. And so, re, you know, releasing the judgment around that, but giving people the space to create their own life. The intimacy is then how deeply involved am I in my story? How connected am I with my story? How much am I allowing people to see what, you know, what the storyline is? And, you know, individuals can choose where they want to go on that scale. So part of it is also allowing people to move, recognize that everybody has their own journey. Mm-hmm. And so your journey won't look like mine, mine won't look like yours, but giving people the space to be on their own personal journey. Yeah. And then the S is the sensuality, sexuality, spirituality, which we you know talked about in terms of allowing God to experience life through me. So now that I've created this story, I've determined, you know, whether or not this is just the first phase. And so within that, how much then do I allow God to experience, have that experience of the book? So it's really bringing the fairy tale to life by allowing God to experience that fairy tale, but then me also creating that fairy tale in the physical reality. And then the eroticism is just this little spice and boldness that kind of gets sprinkled in. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's the cherry on top, honey. You got to have a little spiciness in your life. You do. I love it. <laughs> so how would our audience um, get in contact with you to learn more about your Red Light Divinity program or just, you know, how do they follow you on social media? Yep. So the best way right now is on Instagram under Red Light Divinity. I'm actually starting a um, series on Monday called Naked and Unashamed, which um, starts with um, the story of Eve. So it's about rewriting her story and releasing the condemnation. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's kind of a follow up to the conversation that we've been having here. Um, But I'll let the viewers chime in there because otherwise we'll be here for another hour or two. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the best way social media wise is um, Instagram, Red Light Divinity, or either directly email Kali at KaliAssure.com. And that's K-A-L-I at K-A-L-I-A-S-H-U-R-A.com. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for having this conversation. Let me tell you, I have learned a lot. I've learned more about myself in the last few minutes than, you know, I probably have all week. Look, so that's always the goal. That's I know, right? Like we're always, I feel like we're always on a path of self rediscovery. Like yes. I'm rediscovering parts of me. I'm, I'm learning parts of me because I'm always growing and evolving. And that excites me. And, yes. you know, that makes me happy to know I'm always evolving and growing and learning. So thank you for being on this journey with me here today. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your expertise with me and, and, and our audience today. And, Thank you for just having fun and being you. (laughs) Thank you. It has been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. Absolutely. And to our audience, thank you so much for joining us here again for another episode of Orgasmic Relationships. And as always, be bold, brilliant, and completely unstoppable in the pursuit of what your heart truly desires in your life and in your relationships. I'll talk to you next time.